Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is John Bush, co-founder of Athena Health, a cloud-based software-enabled healthcare company that helps manage patients' electronic medical records, enhance communication between patients and physicians, and facilitate payments to healthcare providers. John founded the company in 1997 with Todd Park, whom he worked with at Booz Allen Hamilton. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me, Jessica. What does Athena Health do? Athena Health does the healthcare internet. Athena Health has figured out a series of business models that make a basic trade with doctors. Uh, I will do your crap work for you that you hate and stink at uh, for less than it costs you to do it. I will lose less of it. And all you have to do is use my backbone instead of whatever software or paper that you have in your office right now. It's a basic trade. It's like the airlines being asked to use the Sabre system in the 70s. Uh, and little by little by little, we're doing that. Why hasn't there been much innovation in the healthcare industry? Well, I love places where there are no sexy people because I am dying to be seen as the sexy person and have since I was a you know child. So the less sexiness, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the real reasons why healthcare doesn't have entrepreneurship is that it's largely illegal. The basic things that monetize business ventures uh, are illegal in healthcare. There are laws against, for example, person A brings business to person B. Person B can't pay person A a commission the way you can in financial services or auto or bank cards or travel or, you know, think of all the things that uh, Google, you know, monetizes by saying, hey, I'll bring you somebody who wants to see a XYZ, click and, you know, give me four bucks and I'll serve them up to your server. And the last reason is a good reason, which is that, you know, we have a Hippocratic Oath here. You have to be careful. Uh, and when you're careful, you have to go a little slower. And when you could do porn or gaming or social or all the other things that have exploded uh, over the last 20 years uh, online, uh, and if they blow up, who cares? Uh, you know, it makes sense that they go first. It makes sense that maybe financial services goes next. And, you know, I'm okay with the idea that healthcare go next as long as it goes. Please, God, let it go. Can you provide an example of the innovation that you're providing? We're talking at 30,000 feet. But sure. f for me, for instance, I went to the dentist and I have a cavity and I got x-rays and I'm moving to another dentist and I don't want to get x-rays again. Boom. Right. So hopefully both your dentists are on AthenaNet and everything that's ever happened in the one dentist is now visible at the other dentist. There's not a copy of it, as the government mandates. Um, there's not a stuff in an envelope. Um, they're just looking with Link at the same stuff. Um, as soon as you get permission, that should be allowed to happen. When you're convincing insurance companies or uh, doctors to adopt Athena Health, how are you getting them to transfer all the paperwork Right. That's one of the great early, you know, well, how do I start? How do I get going on this? I get it once I'm on. And we have bumped our nose on steps that don't work. Uh, and we've found a path um, that, that works. And so we started with the life cycle of the claim. Doctors don't care about the claims that happened last month as soon as they're paid. Right? The codes that they use don't mean anything except to the insurance company. It's a big game of kabuki, ritualistic you know, dueling and, and nobody cares. And so you can step in and say, look, starting on this date, I'll send out all your Kabuki theater claims. I'll follow up on them. I'll match them. I'll post the payments. I'll put the money in your bank. And 
I'll create a link to your old system so you can go back if you ever need to. So that gets us online. It gets all the patient records online, all the patient identities online. Now to step up and add patient communications, eh, not that big a deal. It's almost the flipping of a switch. Just make sure that at reception you get their email address and their cell phone number. And then medical records comes after that. So you started very incrementally with the claim. And even in the very earliest days, did you actually just take paper and plug it into a computer? No. Luckily for us, um, in the 80s, um, the Bush 41 administration had made a rule that you can p- you get paid a dollar extra for every Medicare claim you send in electronically and a dollar less for every Medicare claim that you send in on paper. And the $2 spread created a giant market for electronic billing systems. And so almost every doctor that we showed up at since inception had some form of electronic billing system that we could put a needle in and kind of suck the patient data and insurance data out of. Now, it turned out the insurance data was so bad that we couldn't use it, but at least it gave us a starting point. What companies do you look to outside of the healthcare industry that are analogous? I think of it like in the ages of man. So you have, you know, we're not an enterprise software company, which is sort of like primordial ooze in this day and age. Then there's SaaS companies which say, hey, I'll rent you my app. I'll host it. I'll back it up and I'll rent you my app to go do your work. Then there are cloud-based services or network services which say the app isn't the product. It's the store you go into to get the product. So Amazon hires just as many programmers or more as Salesforce.com, right? Salesforce.com is a SaaS company. Amazon is a network service. They, they sell you stuff. The outcome is the stuff. And Athena is the same way. We're selling paid claims. Uber, right? You don't buy a license to Uber, but you click on the thing and there's a freaking car. It's pretty amazing. So you're more like Uber than Amazon. That's right. Who else? Uh, Airbnb sells butts in houses, right? Unless you're in the house, you don't pay. Where are you hosting all of this data? Where are your warehouses of computers? Right. In a series of undisclosed locations on different power grids around the country. That's something we do ourselves. But right now, with the level of security and privacy in uh, in uh, in healthcare, there's nobody who can do it at the standard we need to do it. So when you're driving by in a, in a, on a highway uh, in Oklahoma and you see this behemoth building, it could be one of your data warehouses, That's but it right. doesn't have a name on it. That's right. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is John Bush, co-founder of Athena Health, a healthcare information technology company that facilitated the cloud-based model for the healthcare industry. So in other words, uh, Athena Health makes healthcare data collection more efficient by managing electronic health records, facilitating financial transactions, and enhancing patient communication. The original company that you founded, Athena Health, looked a lot different from the company that it has become. It was focused on women's health, and it was a birthing practice, basically, in San Diego. What was the reason you started that? Well, you can imagine um, the sort of super ego bake-off at the uh, Bush family summer vacation You know, dinner is a tough one. Uh, so you grew up with people who have done all kinds of extraordinary public service and we should say, I'm interrupting, that your uncle is George H.W. Bush. Your cousin is George W. Bush. Grandfather was a senator. I mean, they're all over the place. Um, started a really big, great-grandfather started a really big Wall Street house. Anyway, the point is, is that I wanted to do something, you know, very good, but also that would 
you know, pay bills and let my kids go to fancy pants private schools, you know, the way I got to go. Uh, and so the first idea was maybe a doctor. It didn't seem like there were a lot of doctors in the Bush family. So I tried being a doctor by getting an EMT license and working for the city of New Orleans, driving an ambulance from 6 at night to 6 in the morning. It was the best job in the world. And you were an EMT uh, during college. Uh, yeah, that's right. And you went from uh, BU, you were a freshman, you transferred to Wesleyan where you ultimately graduated. I did. So yeah. you were an EMT for a summer. You trained as a medic during Operation Desert Storm. Yep. Uh, and so you were dabbling in the medical area. I was trying to find a path that would work for my non-science but uh, and uh, I sort of liked big patterns more than little patterns. Uh, so where the ambulances sat seemed to me to be a bigger way to save lives than what actually happened in the ambulance. Got more interested in those kinds of distribution problems, how much the ambulance knew when they got to the patient, how much the hospital knew when the ambulance got to the hospital. It was down to a bunch of slang codes that got rattled over the radio, and it didn't have to, it seemed to me. But then why focus on birthing uh, in San Diego? So there I am. I thought maybe you'd be ambulance. I'd start an ambulance company. And we would instead of all these little city ambulances that were kind of disorganized and subscale, you could do super regional ambulances. And then American Medical Response went public. Somebody had already done it. And I was like, ah, damn. Um, so I looked for other things. My, actually, my partner Todd was a guy I met at Booz Allen. And, uh, and he and I started looking at places where you could build a retail brand where people would be able to choose the better product, but that was expensive enough uh, that it used the sort of world of hospitals and specialists and surgeons. Uh, and the perfect mix of those two was women's health because women actually choose their OB, but they almost always end up in a hospital. You have five children. Did you have any children at the time? Yes, that's why I have so many children. I was, I was recruiting OBs uh, to our women's center. Uh, we had we had five kids with three different midwives uh, at three different institutions. They were midwives. Oh yes, yes. So was that one of uh, the incentives for starting this uh, birthing oriented practice? Uh, that's right. Company? The entire profit line of Athena Women's Health was focused on hospital days that didn't happen. NICU days, neonatal intensive care unit days that didn't happen because women made it to term, delivered naturally, didn't get as many interventions, didn't panic as much, uh, and breastfed longer out the back. That was the basic play. And was that your wife? That was my wife. Five for five. Unbelievable natural birth uh, athlete. And how come, how far into it uh, did you start to make the shift from this uh, women's focus, which, by the way, Athena Health, I assume the name, Athena being the goddess of wisdom. Who herself had a non-traditional birth. We, we did not recommend anyone else leap from their father's forehead. So why then the shift from this uh, women's uh, practice right. to this software service company? Right. Well, like many sort of Napoleonic young souls, we bit off more than we could chew. We just we were able to attract women to the model. Um, we grew the practice 50 percent. We marketed. We attracted people. But we couldn't get the insurance company to pay the bonus. We couldn't prove that those surgery didn't happen and that this was the lower cost birth. We couldn't even get the basic claims paid. The amount of crap the doctors have to go through just to get baseline revenue is extraordinary. We didn't get it. 
But so, as we started drowning in it, we built a website. My partner Todd's younger brother, Eddie, came from Harvard, pushed through uh, building a little website to keep track of our 13 little clinics in Southern California. And then little by little by little, we got to where we were barely figuring it out. And all the doctors in town wanted to use our website. None of them wanted us to replace them with midwives. So what you're saying is that uh, your partner's brother, Ed, built a system to manage your, your being paid by insurance companies. And it was out of this personal need that uh, Athena Health became what it did today. That's exactly right. It was just a total lucky thing that Eddie and Bob, our original CTO, happened to be in San Diego County, which happened to have, you know, storefront available DSL service first in the country. I mean, so many things just went right enough uh, that we got the drop on this idea. Uh, we screen scraped the Medi-Cal website for eligibility information before that was illegal. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff worked out. And then everyone said, geez, I'll have a, some of that accidentally. Absolutely. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Jonathan Bush, co-founder of Athena Health. You have kind of a performance nature to you. Your brother, incidentally, your younger brother, is Billy Bush, radio host. and there's Access like, Hollywood. There's like jazz hands a little bit. I, 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 am a, I am the son of a Broadway performer. My dad, Jonathan Bush, was Will Parker in, in Oklahoma. He was a baritone in the traveling Oldsmobile show quartet. You have landed in an unlikely place, and your father, too, landed in an unlikely place from being a dancer on Broadway to being a banker. He started his own firm, uh, J. Bush and Company. Did you have aspirations, uh, by the way, of being a performer? Uh, professionally? Yes, I, I did. I, I thought I, I acted in high school and tried to act in college, but I never got a part. And, you know, I had all kinds of fantasies about show business. Uh, but I think, uh, like my father, maybe a little earlier, I realized that if I wanted to have a family and other things, uh, I had to really be ready to make a real trade. Also, I watched Lenny McCormick perform in Spencer for Hire, and it was so many takes of the same little script, and it was so much about her tight, tight dress, and it wasn't what I thought. And so I was like, I'm going to perform differently. I'm going to perform. And today what I do is I employ 3,000 people to listen to my speeches, you know, once a quarter. And, uh, and I give great stand-up when they're, when they're being paid to listen. And so that's how you scratch the performance itch. That's it. Your dad was a banker uh, after being a dancer. He sold his company in the same year that you started Athena Health. Was that coincidental, by the way? Nope. He was, he was gunning hard for me to take up the J. Bush and company. think he wouldn't even have to change the J. Bush. You could just step right in. But I just, I just couldn't get to kind of making the world safe for the 1%. It just wasn't moving me, and I felt bad because I loved working with my dad, which I did for a year as I helped him sold the business. Uh, but he exited when I wasn't going to. Uh, do it. He helped you. Uh, he he invested. He in angel it. investor. Absolutely. How there's much? A, there's a house up in Maine called the Temple of Athena that he built. Huh? How much did he invest in the earliest days? Uh, or ultimately? Uh, first round was 150, and I think he came into the second round too. And I don't remember how much, but uh, he also worked it. I mean, every college room. I mean, he. He hit the road getting people to meet with me. And George H.W. Bush was also an early investor. So yes. your family uh, made investments but also made introductions for you. Absolutely, yes. What this are some other examples of introductions Always raising the super ego bar so that I had to be <laughs> even more successful to justify the unfair, you know, leg up that I got. Think of the shame and the guilt. My, my whiteness goes on for years. Um uh, yeah, we had George and Barbara Bush. We had uh, uh, my folks, my grandmother, my, you know, every boss. I mean, I hit up everyone 
uh, college roommates of my father, uh, everyone I could find. And then this one really successful healthcare entrepreneur um, who actually we, my dad and I were pitching to be a client of Jay Bush and Company. He had just sold his home health business, Larry Sass now. I appreciate your your frankness about uh, the uh, being born on third base phenomenon. Um, yes. Why hide it? It's there. It's. I will say it's not all sunshine and candy, because there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, guilt and shame. Uh, but uh, I'm taking it and I'm using it. And once these doors were opened, what is an example of a place that thought, oh, you know what, uh, you know, I took this meeting because he's a bush, but hmm, you know what, there is something there. What what's an example of that where you felt there was that authentic conversion? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I I I, I, was, I thought you were going to ask a different question, which is you know, in ma- being a bush is a great advantage unless you happen to be in Massachusetts, <laughs> where where it often acts as a wind in your face. The majority of my employees are Democrats, etc. Um, so there's always been a sort of overcoming angle to it. Uh, but, but this is a di- this is a different overcoming I'm asking about. Yeah, overcoming the uh, unfavorable starting point, I guess. Well, I think that's what's nice about building uh, an arm's length service. People are doing it because the thing works. But initially, um, you yeah, were doing it. I'm dancing because I can't think of examples where uh, it played well. I mean, it was a very liberal group of doctors and midwives in San Diego. I mean, high intensity of flip-flops and clogs on the floors. It was not a really big bush place. Um, I think really it was the fundraising. It was the it was the kind of Wall Streety oil, and then this home health guy, uh, you know, that that made it, it was appealing to to take a look. In 2007, uh, you had an IPO, which was the most successful of the year. The price went up 97%. When you interview entrepreneurs, don't use Wall Street's definition of success, because that was a disaster for me, right? When the stock goes up, all that money of increase in stock price is money that you could have in your company's treasury if you had charged more for the IPO, right? So the bankers pushed us down on the price that we would issue. Oh, it won't work. You have to charge, you know, $18 a share or whatever. So we end up relenting after 11 days in an airplane. You know, I'm in the fetal position, having given this speech 100 times. I relent. They priced the round at $18 a share. By noon that day, it's at 36 But you held on to stock. So your stock went that's up with other that. Other than the fleecing that happened to the company, everybody wins. And that's why that's been allowed to continue. It's astonishing that uh, we define a successful IPO as... Is one where the employee, where the where the company is actually left with less money than they would have had. But if you're the seller, you got beat. Nevertheless, the perception was momentum. Of, you know, look at this; it's on the move. You know, so I agree. Regardless of the chip on your shoulder uh, towards <laughs> towards the Wall Street bankers, yeah. the perception was one of success, which was the incentive for more customers and people yes, jumping onto your wagon. I will say, with my, my, my petty concerns aside, being public has been very good for Athena. It was a, a marketing play as well as a financial That's one. right. That we're real. We're not disappearing. This idea of health care on the Internet is not... Uh, as much a fad as it would have been if it wasn't public. You have sponsored hackathons related right. to Athena Health. Can you describe what what that really means? Sure. A, a hackathon is um, an open event, a fair, for whipping together a crappy piece of software that solves a problem that no one's got a piece of software. It's like a rapid invention game. Uh, and as we started this interview, you pointed out that healthcare is a very sleepy place. There's very little in the way of entrepreneurship. In 2011... 
in a market where we spent $1.9 trillion, total venture capital into healthcare technologies of any kind was $895 million. Less yeah. than $1 billion. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So the reason that people are getting onto systems and the reason that people aren't shopping and the reason that the federal that there is a federal website and that it doesn't work is that there is no layer of connected entrepreneurial technological energy. There's no code base to work from. And so we've actually started a thing called More Disruption Please, MDP. And we invite companies, we've got 450 companies that have signed up. And then we attract developers to form companies. And then we say, hey, we'll build an API. You can use our security layer, our privacy layer, and we'll sell your stuff to our clients. Because I'd rather have competition, but have something happening. Uh, than uh, just be kind of this isolated vacuum of lameness. So what's an example of somebody or a company that came to you through your hackathon that's now part of Athena Health? The name that's popping into my head is this group called Entrada that has built a cloud-based voice recognition app that's targeted specifically educated around medical terminology. So no matter what machine you may log into, it knows that it's you and it takes all the learning it's done on your voice um, to to better recognize medical terms. So we didn't we don't have that. We it might be on our list somewhere, but we ain't getting to it in the next five years. These guys are ready. So now doctors can turn on Entrada inside of their Athena medical record. Mm. Um, there's a couple apps that allow scheduling. So there are all these companies that offer that kind of crawl the web saying, Hey, do you need a doctor? You know, here's one who's close to you, here's one who's a woman, here's one who's a you know, does organic stuff, and you can click and if it's a Athena doctor, you can actually make the appointment there online. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is John Bush, co-founder of Athena Health, a company that electronically provides healthcare services. Athena Health has been growing at thirty percent since you started. What does that mean? Well, um, Athena Health has been growing by over 30% a year every year since we went public. And the idea is to keep knocking out 30% more even from a larger base so that in a few years, it just doesn't make any sense not to be on a national network. You know, it would be unsafe for a mom to bring a baby, you know, start the pediatric record with an unconnected doctor. Even if you love them, it's like, "Eh, are you on Athena? You know, just remember when you slowed down at the cash machine banks to see if your logo is on the glass window so you could know whether your card would work, like is it serious or nice? I'd like to see in a couple of years patients slowing down to see that olive branch mm. saying, you know, are you on Athena Net or not? And if you're not, are you is Athena connected to my logo, whatever the other one will be. And you're not even checking when you go to the ATM ATM anymore, right? Uh, to the Today, bank they're anymore. all connected, right. right? So as other clouds emerge doing what we do, which I, I guess I hope happens, there's a dark side of me that wants them all to fail, but uh, those, those, those few national networks should easily build interchange agreements and say, hey, if it's our patient going to you, I want five bucks. And if it's your patient coming to me, I'll pay five bucks or whatever. And you see that marketplace evolving eventually. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it. This has all been done. We have interchange fees for bank machines. We stumble drunk into any cash machine in the world. And the exchange rate and the bank-to-bank transaction and the balance checking, it's all done. We take for granted. We're like, oh, $3, that's awful. No, that's a freaking miracle, right? <laughs> you know, It's all happening so we can watch it. All we got to do is do a pretty okay copy and we can blow away the stuff we hate about healthcare with it. You are a runner. You've run how many marathons have you run? Just the one. Just the one. And why do why do you call it the one? I I, I was divorced and um, I was being encouraged to uh, be visible and date and uh, and be less fat, uh, frankly. Uh, 
and drink less and smoke less and many of the things that I did to cope with divorce less. And uh, so a dear friend who worked at GBH said, I'm going to get you on a reality show, WGBH, a public public radio, uh, did a Nova show on sort of misfits running the marathon. And I got to be one of the misfits, got a free number. uh, And it was a really important life event for me. You are remarried now. I am, yes. Uh, and you live in Cambridge, and your five children also live in Cambridge with yep. your former... You go back and forth. With Good, your ex-wife. Yeah. Yep. What is the experience of your children uh, having watched you you know, build this company basically since, uh, since they were born? It's a really good question. I think that, um, I think that um, starting a business, uh, especially one that works, ironically, um, can be really bad for a marriage. Uh, you feel... Um, in those early days, like uh, you, you are the Dutch boy with his finger in the dike. You, you are, mm-hmm. you know, got a little bit of a messiah thing. Like I've got to hold this on, mm-hmm. you know, even if it kills me. I slept for years with a beeper pre-cell phone era beeper strapped to my boxer shorts so that it would vibrate so I wouldn't wake up my wife. But the very idea that I went to bed with literally Athena sort of on my loins. Uh, <laughs> you know, really contributing to the divorce. I mean, it really... And and this is perhaps, you know, th- this is a harbinger of the iPhones that are on the pillows of people. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I now, you know, one marriage later, leave my iPhone in the kitchen when I go upstairs. Uh, but that idea of that hypervigilance, you know, I, I, I know that it had to be hard and I know I had to bleed hard for this to work. I didn't need that level of hypervigilance. And my children, ex- you know, A, experienced a divorce, which which ain't a lot of fun. Uh, and I think also probably experienced, you know, why isn't he looking at me? You know, why isn't he here? I mean, I was, I was able to attend a lot of stuff, but were my eyes and brain, was, my, was I present? And that idea of all that time probably being more hypervigilant than I had to be, it, you know, took a, took a toll on them. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is John Bush, co-founder of Athena Health, a company that electronically provides healthcare services. When you applied to Harvard Business School, what was your essay about? Great. It's a great question. I will be the best healthcare services entrepreneur that you have. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build a service that improves the quality of healthcare, and I'm going to make it into a business. So you knew going into business school that you wanted to I start work, in this I was area. specifically to write the, the, write the business plan. Todd Park was my buddy at Booz Allen. He stayed at Booz Allen, didn't go to business school. Mm. But he, he and I agreed that I would do this, get the airtime, get the call back. You know, it's easy to get someone to call you back when you're calling from Harvard Business School, right? So I would do that angle. I would get the business plan vetted in that environment. And every class I took at HBS, in my mind, was the marketing angle, the staffing angle, the governance angle, the finance angle of my women's health business, of mm. our women's health, Todd's and my women's health business. And uh, we entered the business plan contest with our business plan and weren't a finalist, <laughs> which was quite a wake-up call. Tell me about your relationship with Todd, your co-founder. Todd Park uh, is the most prolific doer of good work uh, I have ever met in my life. What do you mean? uh, He has the ability to stay focused on a problem um, effectively, creatively, intensively, analytically for periods of time that just don't make any sense to me. He just can stay on it for too long. When we were at Booz Allen, he could work for two or three days straight. Um, and, and, and that's how we really met, was sort of 
I was the guy of our duo in charge of saying, you know, you can expense the limo service if you're here after eight, you know. And he'd been sitting there alone at 11 p.m. waiting for the M18 bus, you know, to go across town to his apartment that he was never in. And, you know, there's a laundry service they have it at the office where he was buying underpants at the store rather than wash the ones he had. That, because he was at the office so long. Because he was so intense on the problem. And so I provided this air cover for him. But he provided an intensity of follow through that I envisioned. But really the follow through was the thing that was shocking. And so we went out as a duo like that. And so he was the, the, the steady heart of this. And you were the, what, what would you say? Your... I, I think my primary role in the early days was the jealous protector of Todd in, <laughs> in some way. Um, and I think also maybe the jealous, like because of my ability to give up before he, uh, I was able to declare things that weren't working, not working in time before they killed us, just barely. I'm not a big giver-upper either, but compared to Todd, I'm a total wuss. A more positive slant would be when this birthing idea uh, wasn't as lucrative as you had thought, you pivoted the company with Todd. Uh, I, I think I was the one who did that, yeah. And not just focusing on women's health anymore, obviously. That's right. So in order to do that much narrower service, we needed a much broader audience. And you do personally uh, have breadth. You dabbled, uh, dabble perhaps is too light of a word, but you experienced being an EMT for a little while. You experienced being trained as a medic. Like I had to, a captain's license when I was 16. I mean, I, I well, go through ways of being, you know. I'm a child of Manhattan, right? You could jump on the subway and pop up somewhere where everybody's only speaking Spanish and then yeah. pop down and pop up again and everyone's only speaking Russian. Uh, and that's a gift to start with that. And it allows me to kind of connect a lot of different disciplines at work and connect to a lot of different audiences as well. Now, uh, while there is a positive uh, spin or uh, view of uh, having breadth as a mm. person uh, these days, how was it perceived when you were growing up in Manhattan in your family? Well, I grew up in a cocoon where, you know, the, the four people who thought that way all lived and they didn't know there were any other people. Mm. Um, everybody else was sort of a, like a, a prop, like, a, like the paint painted scene going by in Captain Kangaroo. You right, know. because you and your brother and your father and your your mother, I guess you said four, right. were of that nature. That's right. I mean, my dad was a song and dance man on Wall Street. And how about your mother? My mother was the same way. She was the son of a Navy commander in the Second World War, and then she was at the Museum of Modern Art, and then she was at the Inwood House Home for Unwed Mothers, and she was bound, and then she was suddenly raising money for presidential campaigns that she had nothing, no experience in whatsoever. She's one minute, her friend Frankie Tang and she are going to open a Chinese restaurant, and we all of a sudden have 50-pound bags of rice and dried ducks in this in apartment 14A. I remember when I was in first grade, I came in, and uh, we walk in the door, and there's five Cambodian people in the house boiling things. And I'm, what's going on? They're living with us. They, this is the minister of culture from Cambodia, and he was going to be killed in the Pol Pot. And so we agreed at a dinner party to have him live with us. And it turns out when he showed up from the refugee camp, he had his wife and two kids and his wife's sister. And there we all were on the 14th floor of 80, his apartment on 86th Street, shacking up, you know, and that was the kind of thing that... Uh, I think helped a lot. We were shacked up in San Diego. Everybody at Athena Health lived on the floor of the world headquarters when we got started. So from Chinese restaurants to Athena Health, thank you very much for joining us. It was a real privilege. I love your show. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest has been Jonathan Bush, co-founder of Athena Health. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. <laughs>